Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven talk radio that promotes happiness from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights trendsetters and change agents who offer sound emotional fitness tips for improving mental muscle tone and greater well-being. Guest experts include a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who are devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and positive lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week, we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. Today we're focusing on strangers with benefits, and let me qualify what I mean by that. Maybe you've taken a flight across country, or maybe you've sat next to somebody on a train or a bus and you've never known that person before in your life and pretty soon you find yourself engaging in a primal core dump with that person. You share stories about your life, you share things with this person that you've never met before and you may not ever see again that um, you might not necessarily share with anybody else. I often question, what is that? What is that thing that happens with strangers that sparks us to engage differently. My first guest today is a psychotherapist and lecturer at Northeastern University. Amy Morin is an author of international best-selling books, including 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do and her latest, 13 Things Mentally Strong Parents Don't Do. She's focusing on raising mentally strong kids, and she gave one of the most popular TEDx talks of all time, and her advice has been featured by media outlets across the globe, ranging from MTV in Finland to CNN in Mexico. She's a regular contributor for Forbes, Inc. and Psychology Today and serves as a parenting expert for Very Well. Welcome, Amy Moore, and thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. This is, this is, I'm really excited to have this conversation because you wrote two really interesting articles, How to Spark Conversations with Strangers and How Talking to Strangers Makes You Happy. And you are a woman after my own heart. Talk about these articles and, and your discoveries. Well, you know, we all have this tendency that we think that uh, other people don't want to talk to us. And so studies have found that when we're in a situation, especially with commuters who are on planes or trains or buses, that we sit next to somebody maybe for maybe for a four or five hour flight. And then we tend to not even engage. It's almost as if we try to pretend like the person doesn't exist. And 
when they've studied this, they found that most of us think, well, I'll just be happier if, if I don't talk to somebody. But the opposite is true. Just a simple conversation with a stranger can make you happier. Yet we, most of us tend to have this assumption that says I just shouldn't talk to people or I have to avoid conversation or eye contact at, at all costs. And it's sort of ridiculous when you think about it, when you're sitting in such close proximity to somebody and you don't even say hello to them for four or five hours. It, it's really sort of a strange phenomenon, yet most people do that. And, you know, more than just not talking, you're sometimes like you're, you're having physical contact with that person. You're actually right. rubbing elbows, literally rubbing elbows. And the tendency is to want to separate, disconnect and isolate because you want to be in your own space. And um, on the other hand, sometimes we start to engage really deeply with these people. Like we might not share these intimacies with our spouses, but we're sharing it with the person next to us. It's the paradox, right? Right. On the other end of the spectrum, you have people that will just strike up a conversation. And before you know it, you're talking about your childhood or something that happened 20 years ago or your hopes and dreams. And it's often caused because when we meet, when we run into people in our own lives, whether it's your childhood best friend or your cousin or another family member, you sort of fall into these well-defined roles and you think, okay, this person knows me as either a hard worker or they still know me as the little sister, whatever it might be. And we sort of end up staying stuck in those patterns of how people know us. And so when you talk to a stranger, sometimes it's easier to just be your authentic self because that person has no preconceived notions about you. They have never seen you in any type of situation. And so sometimes it's easier to just start opening up and talking and striking up a conversation and revealing maybe deep, dark secrets to somebody that you've never met because that person just doesn't already have these preconceived notions. And I think for some people it's easier too, because you think, well, I never have to see this person again. So even if they judge me, that that's okay. It's not going to matter. You know, I think what you're describing is the absence of label, right? That when yeah. you get on, get onto that plane or that bus or that train, you carry all the labels of identity, you know, as a, as a, I'm going to just use ours, for example, you know, as, as a, as a woman, as a mom, as a, as a wife or a partner and professionally, all the other labels associated with it. And when you get into the plane or the, the, the train or the bus, you're just you. You're just Amy or Lisa. Exactly. And and that person doesn't have any sort of label for you already. And so you can kind of start afresh. And it's one of those things we don't get to do very often in life because when you meet people in, in other areas of your life, you're either going to have an on, ongoing relationship or people are going to have those labels for you just simply based on, on where you met. But when you're on a plane or a train or something like that, you could be anybody going anywhere to do anything. So the other person doesn't know if you're traveling for business or for pleasure, whether you're going on a, a wonderful vacation or whether you're headed to a funeral. So it's sort of like you get to, to strike up a conversation with somebody who doesn't have any expectations. I get it. And and the other thing that comes to mind as a parent, my, my children are older now, but for those of us that have younger kids out there, as we teach our children to be aware of stranger danger, right, to not engage with strangers. And what I think is more important is to teach kids to effectively engage with strangers because it builds a sense of um personal control about maybe having being more intuitive. I mean, there are other benefits to teaching kids how to do this. I'm not suggesting they, they take the candy from the stranger or go see the puppies in the van. That's not what I'm saying. Right. I think that's a, a much healthier message though. As you say, we talk to kids about 
you know, don't talk to strangers. And then some of us carry that so literally into later in life when we're on an airplane at 40 years old, we're still not talking to strangers. But if you look at the statistics, kids being kidnapped by strangers is actually extremely rare. And yet we yes, yes. still, <laughs> you know, and, and as you say, we should teach kids how to be safe that, you know, you don't want to run into strangers or, or go with somebody that says get in the van. But on the other hand, if you are sitting on a plane next to somebody and your child's sitting in the middle, it's okay to say hi to that person if mom or dad is sitting right next to you. Or it's okay to order something from the restaurant from the waitstaff who's a stranger and to teach kids that it's polite sometimes to speak up to people or to say hello or to strike up conversation rather than convincing them everybody's bad and they're going to kidnap you. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I hear you. Let's talk a little bit about that 2014 study that examined the commuters. Um, you mentioned it, I believe, as we, when we started, but talk a little bit more about happiness, the reports of increased well-being or elevation of mood as a result of, of having the conversation of engagement. So they asked these commuters beforehand, uh, on your commute, would you be happier if you didn't speak to anybody or if you did talk to people? And most people said, oh, I'd be much happier not talking to people. So then they <laughs> challenged them to all strike up conversations. And and then they asked them again, did, did speaking to other people make you happier or not? And they discovered that overwhelmingly people found that striking up a conversation with a complete stranger made them happier. And it was to their surprise because they were not expecting that at all. And then they interviewed the people who were on the receiving end of that. And those people also were happier as having been joined in this conversation and so they found it's it's mutually beneficial, whether you're the one striking up the conversation or you're the one who who's just sitting there and somebody else happens to start a conversation with you. Either way, it will make you happier. And the other interesting thing they found in this study is they a lot of people had a fear that talking to people would make them less productive. And I think that's something a lot of us have, if you've traveled for business or you have your laptop and you think you're going to get something done, you don't want to start a conversation because you think, what if this person doesn't stop talking? But they actually found that people tended to be equally productive if they t spoke to somebody. But there were also some people in the study that became more productive. They got a boost in happiness that then helped them get even more work done. And so that fear of if I talk to somebody, I won't be productive isn't one that tends to, to actually play out. In fact, the opposite might be true. That's interesting that, that the boost in mood is what actually is contributed to the increase in productivity. So yeah, that we, a, a, a spike. Right, that we tend, tend to do better when we're in a good mood. So it just makes sense that if a quick conversation makes you feel happier, you'll tend to do better. And so rather than tell yourself, I can't speak to anybody because I've got 45 minutes of work to do on my 45-minute commute, just have a quick conversation with somebody. The two or three minutes you might spend chatting about the weather or something else might give you a boost in your mood that then makes you get an hour's worth of work done in just 35 minutes. I love this subject because I'm like a curious person. I will talk to anybody from from a, a, a homeless person that's sitting on the street because I, I, I'm curious about their lives to striking up a conversation. I'm that annoying nudge that you sit next to on the plane that wants to know your life story. So, you know, because I'm always happier when I, when I engage and I, I you know, challenge people to be more curious. And I think that that's really what you're talking about too, is that curiosity is what is bringing the elevation as well as Absolutely. the connection. 
Yes, absolutely. Instead of just making the assumption that the other person doesn't want to talk, because there's studies that have found that too, that we assume other people don't want to talk. And in fact, when they interviewed business travelers, they found about 24% of them said, yeah, I actually don't want to talk on a plane. But that means 76% of them were happy to talk to somebody if the other person initiated the conversation. So you think, okay, we're making a lot of assumptions, and then we don't challenge those assumptions. So just by striking up a conversation and showing a little curiosity, you can then find out, are some of these things I believe actually true? And you might find that they're not. Interesting. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to carry on more of this conversation. I want to talk about strategies to deal with the fear of talking with strangers, because some people might not know how to necessarily start that conversation with somebody they've never seen before in their lives. We're going to go to a break, and to learn more about Amy Morin and her books and her work, please visit amymorinlcsw.com. On Twitter, you can connect with her at amymorinlcsw, and on Facebook, Amy Morin Author. And the two books that are Really great hits are 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do and her latest 13 Things Mentally Strong Parents Don't Do. And I want to talk about that when we come back to Amy. So here come the tunes. Um, we'll be back. That is a promise. Wait, wait. Before we go to the break, I want to talk about snacks. I don't know about you, but I'm somebody that constantly snacks during the day and I'm, I throw bars in my bag and other snack foods. And one that I've been really enjoying is R. X bar, which is whole food protein bars with simple, real ingredients. And RX bar's core ingredients do all the talking. It's simply like eating three egg whites, two dates, and six almonds with no BS. This is real food, ladies and gentlemen, and it actually tastes good. You can actually taste the cacao, the fruit, the spices, the nuts. So whether you like sweet or savory, chocolate or fruit flavors, there's an RX bar for you. RX bars come in a 11 delicious flavors, and they are gluten-free, soy-free, and dairy-free. There's no added sugar, no artificial colors, flavors, preservatives, or fillers. Egg whites are the protein source, dates to bind everything, and nuts for texture. RX bars are great for every occasion, breakfast on the go, snack at the office, throw in your bag for the airplane, toss in your backpack for a bike ride or a hike, or eat it before or after that workout. Egg white protein stands out as a source of protein that's easy for your body to absorb. I personally love the one that is apple and blueberry. I'm really enjoying it, and I think you will too. And here's the best part. Listeners of Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio will receive 25% off their first order. Please visit rxbar.com slash harvesting happiness and use the promo code harvesting happiness at checkout. Once again, that's rxbar.com slash harvesting happiness and the promo code is harvesting happiness. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? 
not having enough money, enough time, enough space. The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times, we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? Because it's kind, it's free, it's legal, it's available 24-7. And we're talking about the benefits of engaging with strangers, something that your mom or dad might have told you not to do. And Amy Morin is a psychotherapist. She's a lecturer at Northeastern University and the international best-selling author of a couple of books we're going to talk about in a minute. But she's here to tell us about the benefits of striking up conversations with new people in curious ways. Amy, talk a little bit about how to deal with the fear of of talking to a stranger. Say you're sitting on that flight from Chicago to London or LA to New York and you don't know what to do. It could be just as easy as just smiling, making eye contact and just saying, hello, how are you? And because I think so often we think, okay, this person doesn't want to talk to me. Well, you'll get a vibe from them after a few minutes. If they put their earbuds in or they they don't respond to you, then okay, you're right. They're probably putting off some pretty clear signals that they don't want to talk. But just by opening that door, you'll get a better idea if somebody then says, oh, I'm fine. How are you? That they actually want to engage a little bit. So I think sometimes it's just as simple as walking in there, just committing to saying, I'm going to smile and say, hi, how are you? Uh, Just to get it kicked off. And then you'll get a better idea if the person actually wants to engage. And I think for people who tend to, uh, the longer we delay it, the harder it is. It's much easier to do that, say, right at the beginning of a flight or right at the beginning of your commute. Otherwise, an hour into it, it's much harder to then turn to the person and say, hi, how are you? So to just commit, have a plan going into it that says that's exactly what I'm going to do. No matter who's sitting next to me, I'm just going to be polite and friendly to begin with. Because uh, And it's really easy sometimes to talk ourselves out of it. We think, what if the person doesn't want to talk? Or what if the person doesn't stop talking? <laughs> and so but to just sometimes say, I'm willing to give it a, to do it as an experiment. So maybe you say, I'm going to do this five times before I make any sweeping judgments about whether you should talk to somebody on a plane. And I would bet more often than not, at least three or four out of the five times, you're probably going to have a much more positive experience than you predict that you will. You know, the other interesting thing, you talk about the concern of the other person not stopping talking. Um, I have done this exercise as a also as a lesson in boundary setting if i decide that i do want to work on a plane and i do go back and forth um from the coast quite a bit and sometimes i'll work the entire flight which is you know several hours but if i know that i want to work i still will engage because i do like the the connection and then i'll say you know i'm going to need to work on this flight i'll 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 come up for air in a little bit and talk so i'll set that healthy boundary and and feel like i still can connect 
Yeah, absolutely. As long as you know, it's okay to say that, that you can say to somebody, it's been so great to talk to you, but I really have to get this done for a little bit, or I really need to get it to get to work. I think you'll find more often than not, people are very understanding and they say, oh, you know, absolutely go ahead or um, thanks for the conversation. That it's not nearly as bad as we predict because we think, oh, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But you're not going to crush this stranger sitting next to you when you have to take a break from the conversation, you know, to remember that you're not that important and you don't have that control over other people. But you can set healthy boundaries and still be polite. I think so often we think, oh, that's rude. No, it's not rude. It's fine to do that. Yeah. it's In fact, it's healthy. Right. Absolutely. It, it's part of emotional fitness, which leads me to your books. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm bump. So let's talk about these bestsellers of yours. You've got two of them, 13 things mentally strong people don't do. And your latest one, 13 things mentally strong parents don't do. Talk about that. Well, as a therapist, my goals were initially to help other people build mental strength. And I thought, okay, this is sort of my, my plan in life. I can't wait to teach these people all these skills, but if, as life would have it, uh, I actually needed a lot of mental strength in my life. I went through a series of difficult circumstances shortly after I landed my first big job as a therapist. My mother had passed away, and then a few years later, my 26-year-old husband passed away. A few years after that, my father-in-law was diagnosed with terminal cancer. So I wrote a list of all the things mentally strong people don't do. It was really a letter to myself about the bad habits that would keep me stuck. And I published it online thinking, ah, if it helps me, maybe it will help somebody else uh, without any idea that anything would ever become of it. But 50 million people read that article and I was able to then write the book that sort of explained the backstory, but also what are the bad habits that we all engage in sometimes, but that they keep us stuck. They keep us from being as strong as we could be. Tell us, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, the first one on my list is that mentally strong people don't feel sorry for themselves. Because I know that hosting a pity party keeps you stuck and it's different from just being sad, which can help you heal. But feeling sorry for yourself is when you really start to magnify how bad your life is or you dwell on your problems. And that's just one of the things. But we also, book also talks about uh, how repeating the same mistakes or giving up after your first failure. Those are all other things that keep us stuck, but we all do them sometimes. And shortly after that book came out, readers kept asking me, okay, how do we raise mentally strong kids? And so that's how that led to my second book about what mentally strong parents don't do. And it talks about the unhealthy parenting habits that that we all do again sometimes, but that it keeps kids from developing as much mental strength as they're going to need to become healthy, responsible adults. You know, it makes me think of a very interesting story. I want to go, I want to talk about um, your challenges in a second, but this thing about raising kids, I have two children and my son, when he was about six or seven years old, came home from school with a really bad grade, really, really bad grade. And I'm, I'm actually a little bit ashamed of myself and what I did, but I'm going to share it because it articulates what not to do. I told my son that he was probably going to be the only Jewish kid pumping gas if he kept doing that. <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> to this day, my boy is now almost 18. He goes, mom. Okay. So I'm going to be pumping gas, right? I mean, it's stuck with him. I've traumatized this child who is a 
brilliant boy, an incredible athlete, has the world ahead of him as his oyster. And I did one of those like what not to do things of yours. Right, right, right. But (laughs) parents know that parents can make mistakes. Parents, all of us fail. We all say and do things that we wish we could take back or things that we think that probably wasn't the, the best move. But it's an opportunity to then role model to your kids. What do you do when you make a mistake? Or how do you make amends when you hurt somebody? Or um, how do you just rebound from failure? And and for kids to know, too, I mean, when we're imperfect parents, that that's okay because kids are going to grow up to have an imperfect partner and an imperfect boss. And they need to the skills to know that other people make mistakes and, and that that's okay and that they can learn how to how to deal with people who who make mistakes just like parents do and they can become more forgiving or they can learn to set healthier boundaries. And I know as parents, we're all just doing our best. Um, and often we think it's not enough or we think we should have done things different, but when you're putting in as much effort as you can to say, how do I raise a, a healthy kid? And you start questioning things, at least, you know, you're, you're trying. And sometimes that's, that's what kids really need to know in the end is that mom and dad did their best. Well, I think that that's, um, that's what it comes down to. You know, I have a Paul, I've been continuously apologizing for 12 years, but what I uh, have as part of the conversation, part of the dialogue about this is, you know, I'm sorry, I'm embarrassed by what I did. It was wrong, but ultimately it's because I want the best for you. I want you to have a really good life. And it came from a place of love and it was, you know, just really wrong of me to do that. Yes, and I think that's a great opportunity to to explain the emotions to kids, right? Either I was really anxious or I was really <laughs> upset, but, you know, that I wanted the best for you and I was afraid you weren't going to get it. And that skyrocketed my emotions. And emotional skills are something that we definitely need to, to teach to kids. And we all make mistakes as adults when it comes to managing our emotions, but we can turn it into teaching opportunities. They did a study where they asked college students how how well prepared were you for college and what do you wish you would have learned that you didn't didn't learn already and amazingly they said i had all the academic skills i needed but 60% of them said my parents didn't teach me enough about my emotions yes. and they weren't able to deal with things like loneliness and the struggle of college and being on their own and so i think for parents to be able to say, we don't talk enough about feelings to kids. How do you talk more about your feelings? And how do you explain? Yeah, when I yelled at that person, I was angry and that wasn't a good choice. But next time I'm going to do this to calm myself down instead. And to use all of those mistakes that we make just as opportunities to strike up conversations and teach kids, how do we do better? I think you, Amy Morin, therapist, Uh, You're an amazing person because going back to the losses that you shared a few minutes ago, what you made out of something that was horribly painful, you know, and traumatic has helped so many people. And I think that I think that is what to do. Yes, I am grateful that all of this happened, you know, that it sort of unfolded in a way that I hadn't predicted. I never set out to write a book. In fact, a literary agent called me and said, you need to write a book. But it all unfolded in a way that it sort of came together. And I'm thrilled that I can use my experiences and my pain to help other people learn from that. And that is a hallmark of a happy person. Yes. Actually, right? In spite of life not always being happy. Right. And for us to know that that's okay. And I tell you what, after going through really painful experiences, I think I am 
better equipped to deal with or to to deal with the small stuff now but i also appreciate the little things more than i probably ever did before and to know you know what life is really about and um to just enjoy every day to the fullest while you can yeah i i i agree i'm i'm drinking your kool-aid sister (laughs) 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 i know i really am i i i so appreciate you taking the time to to come on the show and share and will you come back and hang out with me this is so much fun oh absolutely anytime i'd love to well you know and i think this speaks to that stranger thing you know and probably the beauty of getting to do what i do and um you getting to do what you do is you never know right you never know when you're going to have that connection and that flash of inspiration that comes from giving a piece of yourself to another person Yes, that's a wonderful way to put it in that in the grand scheme of things, striking up a conversation with a stranger, if that makes you and the other person a little bit happier, just go do it. Go do it. So that's the challenge of of the week. Go talk to three strangers that you would have never, ever talked to before. (laughs) See what happens. Amy Morin, I'm going to give your contact information to connect with Amy. Please go to her website, amymorinlcsw.com on Twitter at amymorinlcsw on Facebook, Amy Morin, author. The articles that I'm in love with are How to Spark Conversations with Strangers, How to Talk to Strangers Makes You Happy, and her books are 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do, and her latest, 13 Things Mentally Strong Parents Don't Do, and they don't shame their children by telling them they're going to pump gas. Please remember (laughs) that. (laughs) Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Unwrap your present by signing up for Happiness Headlines, our monthly e-zine at HarvestingHappiness.com. Stay tuned for more after the break. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one, and sometimes we all need support. We all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstance. Sure, things will inevitably happen in our lives that are out of our control. There is only ever one thing that is totally within our control, ourselves. When we have command of ourselves, we are better prepared to handle life and bounce back more quickly when challenges arise. Whether you see the glass as half empty or half full, the glass has the capacity to hold more. You have the capacity to be happier. The tool to harvesting your happiness is within your grasp. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. My next guest, Keo Stark, is a writer, researcher, and teacher. She's the author of When Strangers Meet, How People You Don't Know Can Transform You, as well as the independent learning handbook, Don't Go Back to School, and the novel, Follow Me Down. She's spoken at conferences and companies around the world and recently gave a TED Talk on why people should talk to strangers. Welcome, Keo. Hi, it's great to be here. Oh, it's fabulous to have you here. You recently gave a TED Talk on why people should talk to strangers. And that's how I came to know your work, because I personally love talking to strangers. It is um, kind of a highlight in my day. 
it is for me as well. So talk about who strangers are, who we would identify as a stranger. What does it really mean to be a stranger? And, and is anybody really a stranger? I mean, we are all part of the same tribe. Isn't that part of, isn't that part of the, the secret of this? Uh, mostly, yeah. I mean, it's a great question, and it's a question I usually begin with uh, when I talk to people about this. Who do you think a stranger is? How do you define stranger? And it's one of those things that, you know, we think we're completely aware of. And then suddenly, if you're asked to really define it, it's very confusing and complicated. And people have contradictory answers, even for themselves. People tell me things like someone I don't know, someone I've never met, someone I've never seen. Um, And they also say things like someone who doesn't share my context, which might mean geography or ideology, uh, someone I don't understand, and someone who's a threat. Those are, you know, that's the kind of broadest range. Um, I think it's really important before you start to think about whether or not it's okay and what you might get out of talking to strangers to really define for yourself who are you putting in that category. Well, I think in, in my mind's eye, the, the first thing that comes to me when I think of stranger is somebody outside of the tribe. But really, there is nobody outside of the tribe. Yeah, at a certain level, there is nobody outside the tribe. And um, we do tend to look at people, who, whether we know them or not, but particularly when we don't know them, in terms of categories. We think, you know, we see a person and we see male or female, we see black, we see white, we see brown, we see male, female, old, young, we see friend, and we see stranger. And those categories um, are something that they're a shortcut. We use them to make quick assessments of who this person might be. And I think they're helpful sometimes, but they're also deeply, deeply limiting because they prevent us from knowing and being curious about people as individuals at this level of everyone belongs to the same tribe and is more interesting to approach and uh, engage with as a particular specific person rather than a member of some other category. Would you share a favorite stranger encounter with us? Sure. You know, um, it's hard because I get this question, obviously, everyone likes a good story, and I have so many. Um, And before every interview, I think, which one am I going to tell today? Which one am I going to tell today? Um, A lot of them are very long. The one that, for me, kind of represents one of the epiphanies of this is, so I live in New York City, a lot of pedestrians here. Um, When we're crossing the street, we're in such a hurry half the time that we stand in the street rather than on the curb as if we could get across the street any faster that way. Um, And there are these storm drains. And so one day I was waiting to cross the street and I was standing on the storm drain and there was an old man next to me who was wearing this like fabulous overcoat with a fur collar and a hat. And he looked like some kind of elegant thug from a movie. And he turned to me and he said, don't stand there you might disappear. And I'm thinking like, are you kidding me? Like that's the weirdest thing anyone said to me in weeks, but he looked so serious. So I stepped back and then he was so gentle and he said, good. You never know in this city, I might turn around and whoop, you're gone. 
And I just thought like it was surreal and funny and kind of like if you read any magical realism, it was a little bit like the moment in a magical realist story. But it was also this real moment of connection and bonding. Like for him, he had saved my life. And for me, I felt worth being saved. And so all of a sudden it's like, okay, this is really meaningful because I've been acknowledged and recognized as a person. Yeah. What a fabulous story. What like the, the, uh, that is a magical moment. Yeah. In all senses of the word. Yeah. In all senses. And I think this is the point of why engaging in the world in this state of open-mindedness and also open-heartedness is so essential. Absolutely. I mean, everyone needs intimacy. All humans need intimacy. This is one of those things that's, you know, like food, shelter, clothing, intimacy. It's really, I guess, in that order. Um, And we think of intimacy as something that we get from our family and our friends and our partners and, you know, maybe people who we are um, have like a confession relationship to, like a therapist or a religious leader. And what I think we overlook is that we get feelings of intimacy from these interactions with strangers. It's a different kind of intimacy. It's very special and particular. Sociologists call it fleeting intimacy. And what that means is one of these brief experiences that brings you feelings of connectedness and belonging and recognition as a human. So those are pieces of intimacy. There are other parts of intimacy that I think we do only get from people that we're close to and see every day. But these brief moments that are unrepeatable with people you'll never see again, stack up and count towards your daily quota of of feeling recognized and connected and belonging and feeling a sense of intimacy. I think it's the contrast that heightens the awareness. With the people that are close to us, we almost have an expectation of, oh, yeah, yeah, that's an intimate relationship. That's somebody that is close with me. And yet when we have these exquisitely connected moments with another with whom we we don't know, that contrast really like almost puts like a Klieg light on the moment. You know, that's such a good point and and so well put. I don't think I've ever been able to articulate it quite that way. But um, but yes, absolutely. That contrast is very significant. And I think when I talk to people about talking to strangers, I get three reactions. The first one is, oh, my God, I never want to do that. And, you know, I try to convince people, but I'm not going to force anyone. The second reaction is, wow, I'm going to try this. That, you know, you're making it sound really appealing. The third thing that I get from people is, wow, you've just put into words something that I knew but didn't really understand and couldn't articulate. Um, And I think that what you're describing is a really important piece of why these interactions make us so happy in the moment, why they are so special, because they have those feelings, but it's unexpected. And it's a, a contrast to the situation with our friends and family where we're really expecting to get those feelings. And if you take that thought uh, 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 just like one step further, and I know we're going to go to break like any second, I'm going to get cut off, but I just want to finish the thought and then we'll go there, is if you look at the uh, sort of from a philosophical perspective, when we don't have the expectation, whatever it is that we experience is so much more of a delight. 
I agree. And there's there's another dimension of that issue of expectation that maybe we can talk about after the break. I would love that to learn more uh, about Keo Stark and her compelling argument and presentation for engaging with strangers often. Please visit keostark.com on Twitter. She's at Keo Stark and on Facebook, Keo hyphen Stark. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. Who says money can't buy happiness? Check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life and other fun, fashionable, and inspiring items at shophappyatharvestinghappiness.com. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are we happy yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day, we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times, we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I really urge you to download and share this podcast. I say this every show, but this one, I really, 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 really mean it because we're talking about the beauty of connecting with strangers. My guest is Keo Stark. She recently um, did a TED Talk on why we should talk to strangers. Before the break, we were talking about what happens in those intimate, fleeting encounters with people we don't know that somehow suspends the expectation that we have in our day-to-day relationships and perhaps makes us more open and willing to explore humanity than on an average day with our with our homies. So Keo, let's talk about this mm-hmm. the expectation and what happens, the benefits of the 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 minimization of expectation and what happens to how we engage with people we don't know. Sure. So there's some paradoxical things about our conversations with strangers um, where we sometimes find them actually more satisfying and open than we do with people we're close to. And it's not because we're freaks who have intimacy problems. Um, It's some other factors. Um, And there's quite a bit in When Strangers Meet about the sociological and social psychology studies that this comes from, but I'll just give you the rundown. So we tend to feel in these connected moments, like we can be more open uh, with strangers for reasons that make common sense. We're never going to see them again. We don't have to fear their judgment. Um, We can try out saying things that we don't usually say out loud. um, And we can 
say things without the concern that, you know, the person we're saying them to has to come home with us and live with those, those statements and feelings all the time. So that's the kind of common sense answer. It gets more interesting when you look at the studies about this, and it turns out that people often feel equally or more understood by strangers than they do by people they're close to. So there's a little bit of a paradox. How it works is there's something called the closeness communication bias. And that means that when we're talking to people we're really close to, we expect them to understand us. We we really demand it. And when they don't understand us, when they don't get all our cues, it's incredibly frustrating and leads to all kinds of terrible fights. I'm sure most people will recognize this one way or another. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you go to tell a story about something emotional to your partner or your mom or your dad or, or whoever, and you assume that they get all your references already. You assume that they know how you feel about the place that it happened, you know, who the people are and what your history is with them, um, you know, what your general feelings are on that given day. When you talk to a stranger and you tell them a story, you have to explain everything and you're generally quite aware of that. You have to talk about the kind of day you're having. You have to talk about, um, you know, what your relationship is to the person. Let's say it's a story about something that happened between you and your boss. The stranger knows nothing about your boss and your history with them and how you feel about them and your history with bosses in general. And you start to really explain these things. And it's not actually that shocking that you might feel more understood because you're not making all those assumptions. Ah, oh, this, this is, this is really smart because I think what I hear you saying is that we're more willing to give the backstory. We're yes. more willing to paint a fuller, richer picture of what's yeah. going on in a shorter period of time because the encounter with a stranger generally is, is quick. Yes. We're willing to invest a little bit more of ourselves in the communication style because the reward is that feeling, you know, seen, heard mm-hmm. and understood. And I have to say, when I started reading those studies, it really blew my mind because I was like, oh, my God, here's why I often feel misunderstood in my conversations at home. Like, maybe I can take that information and use it in the house (laughs) um, and, you know, realize all the assumptions I'm making about my partner, my mom, you know, understanding what I mean without me saying it. So that was quite revelatory for me. Uh, Yeah, I I agree with you. Your book, When Strangers Meet, How People You Don't Know Can Transform You, um, is such a cool exploration of the subject. And 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 in the book, you you talk about these studies, right? You talk about the actual research that supports everything that you're sharing. Um, But talk about, for a moment, how we teach our children not to talk to strangers and really why that may not be such a good thing. Sure. So this goes back to the notion of categories to some degree. Um, You know, I grew up not in my own house, but culturally with this notion of stranger danger. And there was a lot of fear around, you know, what might happen to children if they, if they start interacting with a stranger, they might get kidnapped, like all kinds of awful things. Molested. Molested. And the thing is that we didn't talk about back then and maybe didn't have the statistics is that the majority of abductions and molestations are by people that the child knows. So this this fear of the random 
situation is statistically like insignificant. Now, emotionally, it's obviously terrifying. Um, and you can't really argue emotions and statistics in the same conversation. But for me, what I think is that we need to model good judgment for our kids. We need to model openness and also talk to them about how we make choices about who we talk to and, you know, what are those choices based on? So I have a five-year-old and I walk around my neighborhood. I say hello to everybody. I say hello to lots of people who others might not say hello to. Um, I say hello to the homeless people, even if I don't have money to give them. I say hello to people who look a little like weird or who might be tipsy at the wrong time of day, you know, because they're not dangerous and they're humans and it's okay to acknowledge them. On the other hand, if let's say one of the people who seems tipsy at the wrong time of day is really volatile with their body, then I'm going to stay away from them. Not even because they're dangerous, just because that would be really uncomfortable and um, not, you know, might be very unpleasant. And I talked to my daughter about those things. She asks me, all the time. Why did you say hello to that person? Are they our friend? Are they our neighbor? And I usually tell her, it's just good to say hello. It's good to be friendly. And when you feel comfortable. So if she gets all shy, I'm not going to say, no, you have to say hello to that person, even if it's our best friend. Um, I tell her that it's her choice whether or not to say hello to somebody. And I model for her that I'm making decisions. And I talk to her about that. And what I hope is that she'll grow up with this ability so that when she's out in the world in ways that I can no longer control, like when she's a teenager, I will know what she has learned and internalized. I agree with you. I too am a parent. My kids are quite a bit older than your daughter, but um, they have witnessed their whole lives, their mom engaging with everybody um, and, and, and people, the same people that you describe actually. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I think that is how they actually learned both emotional and social intelligence is they learn to discern from being able to, to take a more accurate read yeah. of human as a, as a cross uh, section of humanity versus saying, you know, you don't talk to people you don't know. Right. The other thing that they're learning from that is this idea of acknowledging other people's humanity, um, yes. which is so important of seeing people, you know, obviously sometimes we're too busy or too tuned out to really, see the people around us. But I feel like when you can, it's important to see people, even if those people don't look at you and don't want to talk to you, you're seeing them, you're looking around you and seeing what kinds of people are around you, you can, you know, intuit things about why they might not be engaging with you. But you know, you're doing this and you're modeling for your kids, the idea that everybody deserves to be seen and recognized as a person. Yes, I, I, because it's what we want for ourselves. Yeah. I think that that's, um, that's ultimately what this process is about is seeing that, that beauty, seeing the, the loving essence. And I know that sounds a little woo woo and there are harps playing in the background over here. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it really is about seeing that, that spirited, spiritedness in, in, in another. Yeah. Because when we see it in, well, if we can feel it for ourselves, means that we can access it and, and feel it for another. And maybe that's really the deeper part of this. I think that's such a nice way to put it. Yeah. You know, can, can are you willing to go there? Yeah. Well, and I also encourage people to think about this, not wholesale. So 
like I said, you're going to have days where you don't want to talk to people. Even I have days where I just want to walk down the sidewalk and not <laughs> look anyone in the eye. You know, um, So it's more about like when you're feeling sort of in yourself and in your body and present, you can start to be really aware of this. It also kind of pushes you to feel present. If you're thinking about connecting with strangers, if you're thinking about acknowledging them, you have to be more in the moment. And that is always good for us. Oh, yeah. In the in the moment is the safe place. You know, that's, yeah. the, that's the sure bet. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's also part of the secret, right? I think so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, your book, once again, is When Strangers Meet. How People You Don't Know Can Transform You. My guest and the author of this fabulous book is Keo Stark. She recently did a TED Talk, which I urge everybody to jump on over to TED.com and have a, have, a, have a watch and a listen at. To learn more about Keo Stark and her work, please visit KeoStark.com. On Twitter, that handle is at Keo Stark. And on Facebook, the page is Keo hyphen Stark. Keo, before we go, you teach a class in this. And just in like a few words, talk about the look on people's faces when they come into that class and you say, okay, here it is. Here's how you do it. And why? Well, you know what's funny? I mean, in the class, we do a rundown that's in the book um, about what the sort of nitty gritty of how these interactions work. And a lot of people are very interested in that in a personal way. What's really funny is there's always two or three people in every group in the class who absolutely hate talking to strangers. And for me, they're the most interesting people every time. Ah, to get to convert them. Yeah, hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) What a a great challenge. What a delight to be with you today. And thanks for... um, making my day with with your work and and sharing and i'm going to uh make it a point to go out today and be on uh, stranger alert see see, see what i can scare up and, and who i can engage so thank you yeah thank you so much and here are a few thoughts before we part happiness is not a destination it cannot be bought sold or traded Happiness will never invite you to the party. It simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guests today, Amy Morin and Keo Stark, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new episode of consciously curated talk radio from the heart. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on Tokinet, iTunes, and SoundCloud. In a complicated world seemingly driven by nonstop negative news, Lisa's mission is to celebrate the upside of life and seek the silver lining of our challenges by transforming them into uplifting growth opportunities for all. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU, RadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.